Well, good evening again. Thank you for joining us on this Wednesday. Uh, we are in our study uh, in the book of Colossians, our summer uh, teaching series, Christ Our Everything. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Tawan Nicholson. I have the wonderful privilege of leading uh, the worship music ministry here at Calvary Chapel, and it is an honor to be able to share uh, just some thoughts from the Word of God from the book of Colossians tonight. So if you have your Bibles, uh, won't you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read the first 11 verses of Colossians chapter 3. And it reads, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for this time in your word. And Lord Jesus, truly, yes, you are all in all. It is because of you that we live and move and have our being. And Lord, even have the ability to comprehend the truth of your word. So Lord, we pray now. Here we are, God. We are empty vessels desiring to be filled from you. And Lord, as we study together, God, we do not want to hear my voice, but hear your voice. You have a word for us, God, to grow us, to shape us, to convict us, to mold us, Lord, into your image that you have appointed for us, God. And we pray that your truth would just sink into our hearts, Lord, that you'd bring forth the fruit that pleases you. Lord, anoint me as I share but Lord, also as I learn with my brothers and sisters tonight, Lord, again, we want to hear your voice. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So tonight, uh, our topic for tonight is Christ, our purity, raised to overcome. And as we've been going through the book of Colossians, you can see that uh, in our summer series, the key focus, uh, not only with the title of the, of the series, but each teaching has been about Christ. So Christ, our beginning, brought by grace, and Christ, our rescue, transformed to proclaim, and Christ, our relationship, 
uh, unified and abounding. Christ, our liberty, all about Christ, free to flourish. And now tonight, Christ, our purity, uh, raised to overcome. And really, the entire book is about Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible is really a library of books, 66 books, as we know, written over a course of about 2,000-plus years with 40-plus authors, ranging from kings to shepherds to farmers, all different walks of life. And even still, there's this common thread from Genesis to Revelation that this book is about God's redemptive work of salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And I've heard uh, Alistair Begg and others have have used this uh, way to explain the Bible, that the Bible is a book about Christ. In the Old Testament, he is predicted. In the Gospels, he is revealed. In the Acts, he is preached. In the Epistles, he is explained. In the book of Revelation, he is expected. And even if you look at your, at your Bibles, if you have a New King, a New King James Bible, now of course these uh, section headers are not... Are not uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it's very interesting, even those uh, who put together the New King James Version, if you have it, you'll see throughout the, uh, the, the headers of the book of Colossians all about Christ, so preeminence of Christ, and reconciled in Christ, and sacrificial service for Christ, and not philosophy but Christ, and it just goes on and on and on, focusing in on Christ. You'd almost think that the Lord is trying to say that uh, this book is all about Christ, and what I want you to learn is all about the centrality of Christ Jesus. And it's so important in these last days that our teaching remains focused on Christ. And we even talk about it in Colossians uh, chapter 1, that Him we preach. And, uh, and, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 23, we preach Christ crucified. And He, is ha- he has to be the center of our teaching. Uh, we can't go off on tangents and teach uh, our opinion and uh, you know, our, our political affiliation and our preferences. Christ really, truly needs to be the center of our teaching. You know, it's easy to forget uh, what Christ has done for us and get focused in on what we can do for Christ. And, and of course, that's the, that's the folly of the other world religions. Uh, what can I do? Uh, and what do I need to do to earn God's favor? And of course, we know that we can't earn anything from God. There is not a thing that we could ever do uh, to earn God's love, favor, and forgiveness. And as by way of review, uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, we read this, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. So this is all we could do, right? We were once alienated and we were enemies in our minds by our wicked works. The very best we could do was wicked works. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. Yet now he, being Christ, has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. And for what purpose was that? To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Again, Christ is the center. Christ is the focus, not us. Or as Jonathan Edwards said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. I know I can get an amen on that. So with that in mind, let's look at our observations uh, tonight. And I've divided our study into uh, three observations. 
In Christ, a new mind. In Christ, a new walk. And in Christ, a new identity. So in Christ, a new mind. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 3. And he says, if then you were raised with Christ. Now that if is not a conditional statement. Uh, Often, very often in the Bible, you hear the if being a condition. If you do this, then this is the outcome. If you do that, then this is the outcome. In this particular uh, setting, it is actually not used as a condition, but more as a, as a supposition or as an assumption. Because in chapter 2, if you recall, Paul is using this graphic imagery uh, in verses 11 13, 9, between 9 and, and verses 15. In that whole passage, you see Paul using this graphic imagery of, of circumcision and baptism to describe the work of Christ. And it's not just this, this one-time thing that happens to us, but as he describes it, he really paints the picture of an intimate association and union of the believing soul with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And if you just turn the page back to chapter 2, verse 11, it says, In Him, again, in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And verse 12 says, you were buried with him. So you were circumcised with him. You were buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him, forgiven all your trespasses. And so when we look at that, you can see, and also uh, uh, Paul mentions in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we see another parallel. He says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. There it is again, with Christ, uh, vicariously, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we experience that death. We experience that, ri- that rising from the dead, that resurrection, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. In fact, all of Romans chapter 6, uh, if you, uh, in your time of, of personal study, all of Romans chapter 6 is a great parallel to study along with this passage uh, in chapter 3 of Colossians. We don't have time to read the entire uh, chapter, but it would do you good as you're studying this on your own to also just kind of turn to Romans chapter 6 and read through that entire chapter because it speaks to the point here that Paul is making uh, to the Colossian church. So now as we begin chapter 3, we see Paul basically continuing to build on this truth uh, of the foundations of chapters 1 and 2. Of course, uh, with, with the letters and epistles, there were, no page, there were no chapter breaks. It's a continual train of thought. These are letters that, Christ, that, that Paul, uh, by the Holy Spirit, wrote to these churches. So since we have been circumcised or, bur- or, or, or died with Christ, and since we have been buried with Him, and since we have been raised with Him, since then you were wa- raised with Christ, verse 1, Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And he goes on in verse 2 and says, set your mind. So again, in Christ, a new mind. So when we see this word seek, it can be translated set your heart or set your focus or 
focus on. Really, it's to aspire to. So really, it's what it's saying is, let your aspirations be toward those things which are above. And in verse 2, we see it continuing, that thought, set your mind. In the King James Version, it says, set your affection. Uh, It says, stay focused. It says, put away distractions. So put away distractions, set your mind, stay focused, lock in on the things above and not on the things of the earth. It almost reminds, reminds me of Paul in Philippians where he says, this one thing I do, not these ten things I dabble in, this one thing I do. And this is one of the biggest problems in the church today is distractions. We are distracted by the world, whether it's the 24-hour news cycle, uh, whether it's politics, whether it's entertainment, uh, whether it's social media. Uh, if, if we would be honest with ourselves, some of us need to take a Facebook fast or a Fox News fast or if CNN is your thing, a CNN fast and really just kind of fall on our knees And say, Holy Spirit, remind me of what my true citizenship is. Remind me of where I truly come from and where I'm truly going. And sure, yes, we are to understand the times in which we live. Absolutely. And we are to exercise the freedoms that we have in this country. People have fought and died. We just celebrated our independence uh, just, just a few weeks ago. And we know that we are to exercise the freedoms that we have in this country to choose and hold accountable our elected leaders. But I have to tell you, if you are pinning your hopes, listen very carefully, if you are pinning your hopes on the results of November's election, then ask yourself, have I lost sight of what really matters? And who really matters? Yes, as a believer, I should want to know those things. I should want to be aware of these things but only so that I may understand how to be a more effective servant in the hand of Christ in these last days. Many professing believers, as I talk to folks at work and and other conversations, they they are terrified of what will happen if Trump is reelected. I mean, let's just be real. Some are terrified if Biden wins. Or if there's a Republican or a Democratic majority in Congress. And that's the, that's the whole scope of their conversation. You can see where, where a person's heart is. The Bible says out of the, out of the depths of the heart, the mouth speaks. If the only things we keep talking about is, is politics, then that's the thing on our heart. And the Lord is saying, wake up, church. Wake up. Look at the rest of verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. It does not matter who is in the White House. It is God who raises them up. It is God who puts them back down. We lose sight. Christ is the prize, not the presidency. Christ is the power, not the political party. Christ is all the perspective that matters to the believer. You see, when Christ is our, is our perspective, we see the world for what it, truly is, what it truly is. And we see ourselves for who we truly are in relation to this world. Look at verse 3. It says, for you died. As far as this world is concerned, you died as a believer. Yes, we're still living. We're still breathing. We still function within society. 
but from a spiritual perspective, as far as this world is concerned and the cares of this world is concerned, as far as the Lord is concerned, you died. And your life or your new life is now hidden with Christ. And that word hidden means it's secure, it's safe, it's under lock and key with Christ in God. When Christ is our perspective, we see that. We can see that, yes, our world is in chaos. Yes, we have a pandemic. Yes, there are race riots going on. But I'm dead to this world. And my life, my new life, is hidden. It's in, it's in safekeeping with Christ in God. Galatians 6.14, Paul says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If you'll let me just stay on this thread for just a little longer, for over the last 40 years at least, American evangelicalism, American evangelicalism in many circles has evolved. And if you think back to the Great Awakening the first great awakening, and just the outpouring of revival and the movement of God's Spirit and bars shut down, not because laws were passed, but because men's hearts were changed. We don't see that anymore. Over the past 40, 50 years, evangelicalism in this country has evolved. It reflects more a movement that is concerned with sociopolitical uh, ideology than the Lord's call to go into all the world and preach his gospel. And this is a subtle distraction by the enemy, but it is deadly. It's deadly. See, Satan is content with the church obsessing over causes, over political and social issues, over elections, over political parties, anything except Christ. Do anything except preach Christ crucified. Do anything except seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit anything. We must return to setting our affections, our aspirations, our focus on the things above, on the agenda of our King, not on things of this earth. As Pastor Tim says, some, some, some would say that if you become so heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly good. But he also says, no, that's the exact opposite. Those who are truly heavenly minded are the ones who do the most earthly good, and that is so true. Let's move to our second observation, in Christ a new walk. So having dealt with the issue of the mind, now Paul is turning to the issue of the members. And where the mind leads, of course, the members, meaning our walk or our actions, our behavior, will always follow. Let's take a look at verse 5. And he says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, so on and so forth. And you see the list going on and on. And if you continue down to verse 8, you see more. Put off all these, anger and wrath and malice. And tonight I don't want to get into the details of each of these individual sins. But the principle here is that those things in our lives that are tied to this world need to be put to death. And I love the way the ESV and the NASB say it. The ESV says, put to death therefore... What is earthly in you? Put to death what is earthly in you. And it goes on to list those sins. The Nazbi says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead. 
And if you go to Romans, again, keeping Romans in mind as a, as a parallel, Romans chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, he goes even deeper. He says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. So how do we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin? By not allowing sin to reign in our mortal body. Sin should no longer reign, although we know it yet remains. And in that passage, the key word there is reckon. And that word, of course, is the root from which we get the word reconcile, which is an accounting term. Now, back in the day when I was growing up, I remember when my dad used to balance the checkbook. I don't know if you all still do that as a monthly ritual, uh, balancing the checkbook. Uh, and that was where the bank would mail a, a monthly statement to our home that basically has our beginning balance, all of our debits and credits, and then our ending balance. And my dad would go through, and he would check off the things and compare his ledger to what the bank was showing to be the debits and credits and balances. And of course, again, today we have you know, all types of uh, uh, apps. I use an app. Some people use a spreadsheet. Some people use the online banking. But the objective is still the same, to make sure that your copy matches the official statement from the bank. And so it is with our walk with Christ. Our account is already settled in the bank of heaven, already settled. It's paid in full by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But in the daily moral credits and debits of our lives, our checkbook, if you will, our behavior, our choices, our actions here on earth do not always reflect our standing in heaven. And so every day we have to reckon as he says in Romans 6, or reconcile our checkbook to the ledger in heaven. Really what God is saying here is to conform in practice to what you already are in position. So you don't do these things in order to become a Christian. You do these things because you are a Christian. A cow doesn't moo to become a cow. A cow moos because he's a cow. Right? And see, other religions, they have this same kind of, they take these moral stances as well. If you, you, you're familiar with uh, Hinduism and Buddhism and, and Jehovah's Witnesses and Islam, they all kind of have this kind of moral stand where, yes, you need to make sure you do right and stop doing wrong. But this is, this is more than that in the life of the believer. You know, of course, they, they have a different type of accounting. They believe that when they stand before whoever their deity is, they hope that their good deeds will outweigh their bad. But that's not what we're talking about here. Again, the Lord is saying, conform and practice to what you already are in position. Yes, we will give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. Of course, we talk about that. Uh, Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 5.10. But that's for rewards. As for our eternal destination, that is settled forever. Right now, for all those who believe. In 1 John, John writes this. He says, Beloved, now are we the children of God. Right now. Not in the hereafter. Right now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, 
But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Don't forget that. We shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. There's another parallel to our passage tonight. Purifies himself. Just as he, Jesus Christ, our perfect example, is pure. See, what the Lord is really saying is, I want you to bear the family resemblance. Those who have been born again, raised from death to life in Jesus Christ, are in the family of God. As he said, are the children of God, and it is only natural that we should bear the family resemblance. You may recall what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. He said, love your enemies. Check this out. He says, love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. That's all great moral teaching. But then he says this, and you will be the sons of the Most High. Really what he's saying is, you will act like the sons of the Most High, who you are. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil, he says, therefore, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. The world should say, in, a, in essence, you look just like your father. Like, you look just like your dad. And, and when I grew up, if anyone's ever seen my dad, they always say, oh, you look just like your dad. And I say, yeah, wait till you see a picture of my mom. You know, because there's that, that DNA that gets passed down that cannot be denied just because I am the child of my parents. And because we are the children of our spiritual father, we should bear his DNA. My wife has a cousin, uh, and uh, he has a, his, his son. He's about eight years old. Uh, in a couple, about last month when we had uh, our daughter's graduation ceremony, he was there, and uh, a lot of the friends and family, folks from the church, those of you who came, thank you for coming. Um, and a lot of them got to meet, her, meet his son. And again, he's about eight years old, and somebody said, boy, you look just like your daddy, and he does. This boy, is, he, Marquise cannot deny this kid. Um, and he, this kid, when, when he said, when somebody said, you look just like your daddy, he got huffy, and he said, I don't want to look like anybody but myself. And it was just so, it was cute to hear him say that. And I want to say, Talif, I'm sorry, son, but you got no say in that. Uh, you look just like your father, and you can't help it. And the same thing with us as believers. You know, sometimes we want to be all independent. You know, I want to look like myself. I don't want to look like this, but we don't have a choice in the matter. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, I believe that we far too often settle for far less than our birthright as blood-bought believers in Christ. Remember Esau? The writer of Hebrews called him a, a profane man who for one morsel of food sold his birthright because he did not regard his birthright as sacred. For us believers, it's as if we're of royal blood, but in order to satisfy our immediate earthly appetites, we prefer to live as slaves, far below what our Father would have for us. 
There's a story of a boy named Joseph. And for all he knew, he was born a slave. He was well-loved by his parents, who provided all that they could afford, which was nothing more than rags and scraps. And there was a large house on the top of the hill, the king's house. And Joseph would wonder from time to time about who lived there, but because he was a slave, he knew it really wasn't his business, so he just went about being a slave. Well, one day a messenger came to the village to inform Joseph that he actually was not born a slave. Can you believe it? He was the son of the king who lived in the house on top of the hill. The messenger said that he was kidnapped and sold to these people that he always knew to be his parents. And of course, his parents protested and said, no, no, we are your real parents, and this man has come to kidnap you from us. But despite his parents' protests, Joseph believed the messenger and decided to go with him. And on the way to the big house at the top of the hill, Joseph falls into a deep sleep, and when he wakes up, he finds himself in a large bed with regal clothes laid out for him to wear. Now, having grown up as a slave, he doesn't even recognize what these clothes are, and he has, they're completely unfamiliar with, to him. He's never seen buttons and trousers and shoes and things like that. So he's trying to put the clothes on, and he can't figure out what this button thing is, and there was a wise old man there, a tutor, whose job it was to help him learn the ways of a prince while his father, the king, was away on business. But Joseph found the lessons wearisome. He had to learn how to read and learn how to write, how to carry himself. And he felt like he was always being criticized. The tutor was always saying, that's how a slave sits, not how a prince sits. That's how a slave eats, not how a prince eats. And inwardly, Joseph just longed to go back to the old familiar ways where he grew up. He wanted to go back to his old rags and his old parents and his old friends. And sometimes when the tutor didn't realize it, he wouldn't sleep in the big cushy bed. He would go and grab the blanket and sleep, in the, sleep on the floor because that's where he slept as a slave. One day, Joseph decided he'd had enough and he was going to run away. But the tutor stepped in and stopped him. And Joseph said, why can't I go back? Did something happen to my parents back home? Are they okay? And the tutor says, oh yes, oh yes. All the people, everything... Everyone is the same as you left it, but you have changed. See for yourself. And he takes him and stands him in front of a full-length mirror, and, and the person that he sees staring back at him, he barely recognizes. It's not the slave anymore. It's not the raggedy old slave. It is a handsome prince who stands staring back at him from that mirror. What's more, the next day, his father, the king, returns home, and seeing his face for the first time, Joseph realizes that this is the same face that he had seen in the mirror the day before. Not only did he look like a prince, he looked like his father. Again, it's not yet clear, not yet revealed what we shall be, but when we see him, we will be just like him. See, the Lord is saying, you're a prince or a princess. I want you to take off those old rags. I want you to stop sleeping on the floor. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3 says, you have put off the old man with his deeds 
And you've put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. As 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And as we draw to a close, we just want to touch on this last observation, in Christ, a new identity, verse 11. And I like the way the Living Bible uh, phrases this last verse. And it says, in this new life, one's nationality or race or education or social position is unimportant. Such things mean nothing from an eternal standpoint. Whether a person has Christ is all that matters. And he is equally available to all. And just thinking about the worldwide social upheaval over the past several weeks now, it's all worldwide, it's focused on race in America, it just struck me how timely this verse is. And what little civility there is, is being drowned out by all this, rhetoric, all this rhetoric and all this violence from extremists on both ends of the spectrum, far right, far left, who would rather instigate a race war than make any effort to a reconciliation. But the Lord says here in verse 11 that our nationality, our race, our education, our social position, these things are unimportant in light of eternity. The only thing that matters is whether a person has Christ. See, when it comes down to it, there are only two types of people in this world. From the Bible standpoint, from the Lord's standpoint, should be from our standpoint, there's only two types of people. There are found people, and there are lost people. Not black and white, not rich and poor, not privileged and not and unprivileged, people are either, either found by the Lord Jesus Christ and saved from their sins and filled with the Holy Spirit, or they're lost. What these folks don't realize is those that are on the far left, those that are on the far right, and they're wanting to fight one another, if they don't believe and trust in Jesus Christ, they're going to go to the same destination. And trust me, there's not a far left section of that place. There's not a far right section in hell. And on the other hand, those who may disagree on certain details, if they trust and believe in Jesus Christ, if they're among the found, they're going to go to be with the Lord forever and ever. And there's not one section versus another in heaven. Jesus didn't see the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 as a Samaritan. He saw her as someone who needed the living water that only he could provide. I want to read to you this quote from Tony Evans on race. Of course, you know Tony Evans uh, in Dallas, powerful minister that uh, uh, we listen to a lot, and he says, uh, the reason why we haven't solved the racial divide in America after hundreds of years is because people apart from God are trying to invent unity while people who belong to God are not living out the unity that we already possess. 
The result of both of these situations has been and will continue to be disastrous for our nation, let alone disastrous for the witness of Christ to our nation. And as we close, I just want to turn, if you will, with me uh, to Ephesians chapter 2. And I think that Paul sums this up. These things don't matter to the Lord the way they matter to us. If we look at Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll start reading at verse 11. I'm going to go to the end of the chapter. And just as I read, just listen to what Paul is saying about the walls of division, about the separations, and the things that we and our society deem to be so important today that to Christ, through his death, his burial and resurrection, he's torn those things down. He says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, of course the Jews, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time, see this is all that mattered to the Lord, at that time you were without Christ. That was all that was important. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. You were having no hope and without God in the world. God, what would it be if your church could see people that don't look like me or that don't look like you, but don't know you as that. Strangers from the covenant of your promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Lord, what would we be as your body if that's how we saw lost people today? But now Christ, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation. Verse 15 just blows my mind. I mean, good gracious, some people really need to read this, and it, it'll just shock you. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. I and my brother, whether they look like me or not, if we trust and believe in Christ, we're as one man. This is what he desires in his church today. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Saints, now more than ever, it is time for the true Church of Christ. And again, not this whole socio-political movement that place ideology above theology, but the true body of Christ, brothers and sisters in, uh, in Christ, of all nationalities, of all incomes and economic statuses of all races, of all colors, 
to demonstrate the unity through diversity that the Lord purposely designed and to be a light shining brightly in this dark hour. When we focus on Christ, in Christ alone, through Christ, in Christ, we have a new mind. In Christ, we are to have a new walk that conforms with the new mind he's given us. And we're to realize that in Christ, and only in Christ, all the different nationalities, all the races, all the strata, all the social positions mean nothing. They're just lost people and there's found people. Let's go out and share the gospel with the lost people. Let's pray. Father, your word convicts us. Your word awakens us. Holy Spirit, you are calling us to live and to walk and to act and to think like sons and daughters of the Most High. Lord, forgive us for settling for far less than our royal birthright through Christ. Enable us, Holy Spirit, to rely upon you to be our, our purity, to rely upon you to be our identity, and to walk in such a way that as you said in 2 Corinthians, that by glo from glory to glory, we're conforming more and more and more to your image, Lord. As we go through the rest of this week, as we continue through the rest of this teaching, this series, we pray, Lord, that Lord Jesus Christ, that you would be illumined even more, that you'd be glorified even more, that we would set our heart and our focus upon you even more. Lord, even as the song says, that we would turn our eyes upon Jesus, that we would look full in your wonderful face, and the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. We ask these things that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again. Thank you for joining us. And we pray that you will have a blessed week. And we'll see you again on Sunday. Bye.